Hello, lovers. Welcome to You Gotta Love It, the show where you tell us and the rest of the world the things that you love that we might have missed, the show where you can come to discover the best things you never knew existed, and the show where you can force us to sit through the worst entertainment you can find and say, well, you gotta love it. We're back, baby! I know there was an episode before this one, but... Consistency. This is the the true first uh, return of the You Gotta Love It because we are doing... Uh, what we would normally do, back to our old format, one hidden gem and one you gotta love it. And this week, those items are uh, hidden gem. I'm thinking of ending things by a prolific director of such movies as adaptation and uh, oh, why am I drawing a blank? Synecdoche, New York. What else? What else we got here? Oh, Eternal. He wrote Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, he's got his he's got his hands all over. Maybe not always as a director, but there's so many things. A director, <coughs> writer, me, horse. Yeah. Um, Charlie Kaufman is who we're talking about, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, Synecdoche. He, yeah, he directed. I think he's only directed Anomalisa. Uh, oh or yeah, Anomalisa. Correct. Depending on, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but and, yeah, he's produced and written tons of things. Uh, like he wrote being John Malkovich. And uh, the, the you gotta love it for the week is um, none other than Shia LaBeouf's tax collector. Is it fair to call it even Shia LaBeouf's tax, tax collector? I don't even know. Well, <clears throat> as usual, um, before we get into either of these titles, spoiler, spoiler alert, we will do our best to avoid major spoilers but we're gonna talk about these things so if you haven't seen them just be prepared for that because i feel like even what you just said is kind of alludes to what like why would you call it that do we are we gonna start with that well no i mean as usual uh, who, hidden who, gem who, first. who even remembers what ju- usual is but yes the hidden gem first here's the thing i didn't recall which of these movies was supposed to be the hidden gem and which was you gotta love it and um I'm not sure if this came if this was directly recommended by somebody that we know, but lots of people that I do know have either recommended or not recommended both. So technically, it's kind of <clears throat> almost like it's been uh, crowdsourced. Yeah. But weirdly, I almost feel like they should be switched. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh. Very strange. Um, but yeah, let's start with the hidden gem. Um, what did you think of this movie? Okay, first of all, actually, did you go into this movie blind? Did you read the book? No, but I will say that I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, um, and I haven't listened to the full episode yet because as soon as I, uh, as soon as they spoiler alerted, I tried to, I couldn't reach into my pocket fast enough to switch the episode to you know another podcast because I just had to rip the headphone corn right out. No, I didn't. And so part of it was was ruined for me. Anyway, the big picture, the ringers, the big picture, oh, yeah. um, have an episode about this this movie. And the one thing that I heard, okay, first of all, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, quickly, the movie is about a uh, a man and a woman who go to visit this man's uh, parents for the first time. They're dating, or that's what you think it's about. Anyway. Um, and the first thing I heard right before I switched the episode was, well, the movie actually all takes place in an old man's head. 
And I was like, what a crazy thing to start their podcast with. And, and now by virtue of that to start our podcast with, well, they didn't, they didn't start it that way. They started kind of talking about Charlie Kaufman and you know, things that he's done and how you, how they feel about him, his other movies. And then when they started getting into this movie, I was like, okay, maybe it'll be a light conversation. And then they were like, okay, well, we're going to get into spoilers now. Um, and then they just like dove right in. Just went in on it. So I read the book. Um, so uh, my girlfriend, Neve, um, one of her good friends, Kevin, huge movie guy. We should have him on the show. Absolutely. We will absolutely have him on the show at some point. Um, and Neve as well. Uh, but he suggested to her that she read the book before we watch it. Then I, when I found out that we were going to do it for the show, I was like, okay, well, I'll read the book as well. And I read it after her. It's a pretty quick read. Um, it says even in the back, like the uh, there's an interview with the author who's a Canadian. I believe his name is Ian. Ian Reed. Yes. <clears throat> this is correct. Um, on both he, accounts. He, he, his hope is that people would read this book in two or three sittings to get the, to experience it as intended. Um which was, I very much did. And not to like get off track and go into a book review. Yeah. Um, you can read that on my Goodreads if you're interested. <clears throat> but essentially, I, I found the book to be very compelling, but um, it's like quite a page turner, but uh, very bleak in the end of it. In the end, I didn't really, it was uh, a milder version of like Antichrist where I was kind of like, why? Right. Like, why? Well, you know? let me let me say this, okay? When I heard the movie was called "I'm Thinking of Ending Things," and it it there was a lot of voiceover in it, a lot of uh, uh, inner monologue, I half assumed there was going to be a twist where one of the people in the movie was going to kill themselves. One hundred percent. But you know, it goes one further than that, obviously. Now, having read the book, is uh. Are these recollections or is this just a, a I mean, it, it's a recollection of something that a life that could have been, right? Is that correct? So uh, one further from what you were saying is that I actually always thought this movie was about suicide. That was my first assumption when I when I only heard the title and I hadn't watched the trailer or read the book. Yeah. Um, it just seemed like a really um, extreme maybe not extreme, but a, a very interesting way of phrasing something that had to do with a relationship. And so most of the people I met who were like, oh, it's like, that's that movie about that, those people, that couple that's going to break up, or even the synopsis, if you read it, it says, says like, nothing is as, is as it seems on this road trip, um, you know, where a couple is like going, you know, going to visit uh, uh, the parents, like for the first time. It's sort of like, I kind of always went into it with this, this this dark cloud thinking that it, that's what it was actually about yeah the book is is quite different um the movie i would i would say the movie is different enough to be like an adaptation like it's it's um the ending is different or at least if it's the same it's it's told in a different such a drastically different enough way that you get a completely different feeling okay um once again, spoiler alert, it's really hard to talk about this uh, piece of content without spoiling things. Sure. The book has a very graphic suicide at the end of it. Okay. Like that you read, like, 
it's that's how the book that's like the last page right um so it's a huge spoiler but it differs from the movie in that way where the movie having read the book yeah i imagine i had a very different interpretation of the ending than you did oh really okay i feel like that's why i didn't really like the movie okay this is what i thought happened at the end okay hit me so this old man is recollecting uh a life that he he had with this lady but he didn't actually have this life. This is just what he wanted to have happened mm-hmm. because the story keeps changing how they met and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I assume having not read the book that he had met her in passing and just never forgot her mm-hmm. and like, you know, never took the chance or whatever, you know, like, cause they said they met at a bar and uh, they didn't speak, but they could have spoke. Maybe, maybe that's what happened anyway. Yeah. But at the end, I figure he gets off his shift, uh, kind of loses his mind and uh just sits in the car and freezes to death right that's what i assume happened yeah so i'm i'm mostly with you there i think that i i have i had a similar take in the in the book um after every chapter the chapters are very brief yeah there's a conversation between two people that you never learn who they are yeah talking about a suicide right right out of the gate so you read a couple pages and then there's this like one page thing where it's like oh did you hear what they did you hear about the you know what he did and like oh yeah like i can't believe you know what what a what a horrible thing for somebody to discover and you don't really know what's going on but it immediately right right on the first step yeah set sets up this like sense of like foreboding like just like you know this underlying darkness that Mm -hmm. is running through the whole book right and then at the end, he kills himself with like a coat hanger by like stabbing himself repeatedly in the neck. Oh, so he doesn't freeze to death at the end? Of the- no. In the, in the book, this is what happens in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And then the last thing that you read in the book is the, the strangers that you haven't met talk now that you like the sort of two things have met up, the two arcs have met up. Yeah. It says he, he wrote, like, you, did you see the note? And the other person's like, no, I didn't know he left one. And it's like, it's actually more of like a journal. You should read it, but you should start from the beginning. That's like how it ends. So it implies that you should reread the book now that you've read through it one time, sort of. Yeah. Or that you had just been reading the journal. Exactly. So I think that, I I don't want to say that I'm like slamming the book or the movie. I think that there's a lot of really interesting ideas at play, but in the book, it just felt... For me, just from my personal taste, like almost unnecessarily bleak. Yeah. And in the film, what I didn't like is that I thought the film did a really good job of interpreting the book up until the point where it becomes clear that um, the whole thing was in this old man's head. And then when he's sitting in the car yeah. and the winch in his truck and the windshield starts showing the old cartoon for the ice cream place, yeah, it like lost me. Like, I feel like you could have ended the movie either closer to the book where it's more, it's like a more obvious, like he ended things. Right. But I didn't even like that. I liked it being left open-ended where you're just left with the feeling that this guy was like regretting a life that he could have lived and that that's sort of the kicker. Yeah. And you're left to like wonder kind of what happened. I thought that the musical number and the scene that was from, um, pulled from uh, a beautiful mind where he's like uh 
uh, everybody's wearing makeup and he's accepting the Nobel Peace, Nobel oh, yeah, Peace yeah. Prize. And then it turns into a musical. And then there's like the animated pig yeah. talking to him. All of that I thought was sort of like, um, and again, like don't like I I really like Charlie Kaufman's work, so it's not so much like a criticism. See, I just was like, why why are you keep why is this still going? Like I was just like, this is this is not to me having read the book and now watched this whole thing. Like you, it just felt like it was like, quit while you're ahead. Like why why are you doing all of this additional stuff? Well, so I agree with that up to a point. I I think that the scene where he's accepting the prize is important because it just shows that he's completely lost it at that point you know it's not even just a a a false recollection it's just like fantasy you know he he's an old man with uh the lady in the audience like you know giving him uh love from the whatever but also just all the characters you've seen throughout the movie are there and it's it's very clear that it's it's not it's not even possible that it's a recollection it's just Mm -hmm complete insanity but it could have ended there i think well as opposed to the the animated part and the pig part to your point i was just like this is unnecessary i've already know like i get it now yeah and and what i think drove that home for me was that prior to those scenes that we just listed yeah there's the dance scene which i thought was a really elegant and perfect way of illustrating what you just said like it turns from this sort of creepy you know the girls looking through this abandoned school or this empty school and yeah. it's sort of scary. And then if you hadn't figured it out yet, it becomes clear because she's standing in the hallway and she sees Jake and then they're replaced by the dancers and the dancers do a dance number through yeah. the school. And then the, a dancer dressed as a janitor comes in and kills Jake. Like if there isn't a more obvious, not obvious sort of like, you right. know, analogy or metaphor or whatever for what's happening I, I agree. That was like it. And then yeah. it was like, great. And then it shows him sitting in the, like, what I loved was that after that, juxtaposed to the whole movie where there's all of these brilliant, again, if you've read the book, it's kind of already spoiled for you. But like, I was so keyed in on things like literally shot to shot in the car, her sweater changes color. Yeah. And like how it becomes more obvious later. But if you watch the movie very early on, it's very evident that it's a recollection that's like not perfect because things are changing, you know, whether it's like hair or clothing or like certain, you know. Well, I was going to mention that because uh, I drew, the reason I really like this movie, I mean, there are things that I don't like about this movie, but I do still feel like it's a hidden gem because it does something that I love, which uh, I can draw parallels to, um, oh my God, what's that Chinese movie that we watched? Oh, Long long Day's Journey Tonight. A Long Day's Journey Tonight. Like the dream sequence. It's very clear well, I shouldn't say very clear, but once you watch the movie, it becomes clear that all of these inconsistencies that you see are intentional because it it takes a, you a while to clue in that things have changed. I mean, there's there's some very obvious scenes like when he when when she has the pearls on and, and is dressed in the apron and is mm-hmm. like clearing the table and whatever. But before that, the inconsistencies are a little bit su- more subtle. Yeah, uh, and it it takes you a while, and at first you're like. Wait, did I just see that? Or was I like, was I unsure? Yeah. And then you become sure of it, but you're like, why would they do this? Yeah. And then it becomes clear. So it does make it feel like a dream, which I really much appreciate. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I'd agree with that. Like Neve and I having read the book, I noticed like the sweater thing immediately. I was like, the sweater just changed from like a warm orange to like a purple. And I don't think it was just lighting. Um, 
and also even just the entire road trip that I that that the way that it's lit where it feels like it's on a set like yeah. you can't see anything outside of the windows it's very dark feels very dreamlike but yeah anyway it's 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 just it, what it comes down to I think like people should still check this movie out mm-hmm. but um I mean it got shredded by maybe not by like um established critics but w- there were so many reviews on say letterboxd where people were like waste of time like what a what a self-indulgent you know like film project like people and i think that's a little bit unfair but i on the flip of that is i do understand how somebody could go into this movie not really not knowing charlie kaufman not having read the book not knowing anything and be turned off very quickly because the nature of the content does feel like it it it, it is intentionally that way, but it right. feels self-indulgent. And un- unless you watch the whole thing and you're engaged with it, but don't it you just think- seems like what, you know, like what, why is this movie like this? Don't you think some people might feel that way about say like an adaptation? Oh, 100%. But that's right. why I said like somebody that hadn't seen adaptation. And, and I think that I haven't watched in a while to be fair, but I feel like the other movies we listed that he's worked on were just a little tighter in that regard where, they all have these like really interesting they use they use film as a storytelling medium in like a really unusual way yeah to 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 try to evoke a really specific type of experience and there's some in some ways i think that i'm thinking of ending things really succeeded but in others i'm just kind of like i feel like it was just sort of jumping the shark a little bit like it was just like okay nailed it now just like let let that let that soak in um okay well let me ask you this uh do you think that you would have felt this way if you had not read the book if you had no point of comparison do you think that you would have felt the same way i'm not sure i actually would go so far as to say if i hadn't if it wasn't on the watch list for the for the pod yeah <clears throat> and i hadn't read the book that i would have um maybe not gotten through it you oh you think so just because like uh, maybe that i don't know it's really hard for me to say because i think that no like having read the book the book really like the book is one of those books where it really goes off the rails at one point like um it also kind of draws outside the lines of it the way a traditional novel would be like there's for example uh, a chapter towards the end where it just says in all caps uh what are you waiting for like hundreds of times repeated page after page after page after page of the book you just flip through it and it's just that phrase repeated right so there's like even the way the book you read the book is not it doesn't feel normal so it's sort of like having read the book i was really prepared for the film to be unusual the book it's weird because when you're reading the way that you engage with something when you read or at least the way i engage with something when you read when i read is like since you everything's in your own imagination um and if especially if it's being told from like first person you put yourself in the character's shoes whereas when you're watching a film it's presented to you yeah so it's like you're interpreting something that's happening to somebody else you know what i mean so what's weird is that the book towards the end of the book when it becomes clear that um the girlfriend and jake are the same person 
uh, it becomes challenging to read because it gets confusing, which is the the point. point. And so you're just like, wait a minute, all of a sudden I'm not, it, it like with no warning, it will just switch sort of, um, um, what's the word I'm looking at? Just switch perspective. And you're just like, wait, what? Uh, and that's how it introduces what the sort of crux of the story is. And then in the, in the film, it's sort of like, it just feels very confusing throughout because you're like, what is, like, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's like another thing that was different that I really noticed is that the book, when they arrive at the school, the basement sequence at the house and the school are like, I don't read like a lot of horror books, but right. I would say like full on horror. Like, it's scary. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, like there's a point in the book where. Well, if you Google the movie, it's classified as a horror. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. But like there's a part in the book, for example, where she's in the school and in my head, I'm thinking of like a dark school at night, like no lights on. Right. And she's and and it feels like the janitor is stalking her for like several chapters through this school. Okay. And at one point she looks down a really long hallway and she sees a figure and she hides behind like a locker. And when she looks back around the figure, she's like, oh, the figure's gone. Oh, wait, no, the figure is lying flat on the ground. And then it slithers out of sight, like along the ground. So it's like in your head, you're like, this is just a fucking horror show. Okay, so they could have made this movie way crazier. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. And so I I almost preferred the film in that, not that it was lighter, but I felt like it was less heavy handed at the end. Yeah. Until the point that we were discussing where I was just like, oh, I kind of like this ending better because as it leaves some in, something to interpret yeah. a little bit, like... Does he freeze to death in the truck? That what is he just like? Is this just the state that he's in in his old age? Like he just is constantly thinking about this, right? Um, but it doesn't really. It just doesn't end where I wanted it to end. I basically. also really liked. I mean, now hearing what you have had said about the book, it kind of changes my mind about it. But I liked how in the beginning you saw him looking out a window when he was I don't know drinking his coffee or eating his cereal mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and then the way the movie shot it implies that he sees the girl getting picked up right in the car. Yeah. And I kind of at first just thought, okay, so he's seen this girl. Um, well, no, I shouldn't say at first at the end of the movie, my first thought was, okay, he saw this girl in the beginning and just made up this whole story about what she was doing and where she was going and all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, which I thought would have been cool. Yeah. But, uh, to your point about interpretation, Totally. And there's a lot of things that um, that I think the two of them, like presumably working on this film, they there are nods to that are way more um, fleshed out in the book. Like, for example, lots of subtle things like that serial scene. There's like a whole part where uh, the girlfriend is talking about she doesn't have a name in the book. Right. Uh, that I recall. Whereas in the movie, she her name changes repeatedly throughout yeah. to like kind of indicate something's not what it seems. But right. she she's talking about all the things she likes about him, and one of them is like you know he's always reading and he's eating his cereal in the morning and he's like reading and that and that there's always this weird film at the edges of his mouth whenever he wakes up and right. all those things are touched on in the movie, but in a very different way. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of implications that it is the janitor, right? Like they do. They do talk. He he's constantly Jesse oh, yeah. Plemons' character is constantly talking about his kids and like the oh, plays yeah. and yeah and th- and that that I like those things like when she's in the basement and she all the custodian uniforms are in the washing machine and stuff like that like yeah. there's lots of little um, 
or when he's talking about his dog, but then the dog's ashes are on the shelf. Like there's, uh, and the titles of all of the tapes and stuff. Like there's, right. there's lots of little neat details, but yeah, I mean. So would you recommend it? I think I would still recommend it, but I just selectively, like I, I think that um, the other thing maybe that's coloring my opinion of this is that, you know, it's been a rough year for a lot of people. And I, I this movie is not particularly uplifting in any way. Not that all content needs to be uplifting, but it's a very, I just feel like it paints a very bleak picture about regret. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's not like, so it was very hard for me to, to almost like read it and watch it being like, oh yeah, like this is really great. Like people who have just been like holed up in their homes for all of 2020 because of the pandemic and all the crazy shit that's going on should watch this movie yeah, that's either about the end of a relationship or suicide or maybe both. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's just kind of, uh, yeah. But but I think uh, objectively, it's good. Like, it's like, well, it's the book is like, uh, is different and interesting and worth checking out. And the film is also worth checking out. You just need to kind of be in the right headspace, I think. Um and you need to, you really need to approach both with an open mind. So I'd say it gets points for sure for like, like I said earlier, like kind of coloring outside the lines. Cause yeah. And I mean, so we can't in this day and age with streaming being what it is, the game that we used to play is kind of off the table because we, who knows how much money this movie's made. I mean, it, it's not even about how much money it's made. It's really about subscribers and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So we've got, I've got a replacement for us, but that'll come later. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I guess I should, I should answer my same question there. Uh, I would recommend it just because I love bizarre stuff that makes you think, mm-hmm. you know, what, if I walk out of a movie and I think that it's well done, but I'm not sure what to make of it, that's, uh, or not even just well done, but with intentionality, those are the kinds of movies that I really enjoy because like I mentally try and unpack it days and days later mm-hmm. and then decide whether or not I feel it's successful. Right. You know, a long day's journey into night, I think is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say watch it if you are in for something bizarre, but if you want just like a, you know, a kind of nice Friday night movie with your buddies or, well, I guess people aren't really doing that, but like, you know, with your significant <laughs> other Zoom. or whoever you're hanging out with, or yeah, Netflix party or whatever. Uh, this is probably not the movie. Uh, okay. So let's talk about, uh, and I imagine there's going to be a lot to say here uh, about the tax collector. Hey, the the Shia th- LaBeouf question mark vehicle. What I, what I would like to say to, uh, uh, to give some context to what I said earlier about switching these movies yeah, is the whole purpose of the, you gotta love it's that we review is like, people are like, this is shit. Right. Find something good in this. Yeah. I feel like this is a perfect example of a film that, um, because of the state of culture and, and society and sort of how reactionary people are and how polarized everything is in 2020, especially. Yeah this was dismissed before it even got off the ground because pe- there was so much controversy. I remember early on about people being like, Oh, they got a white guy to play. Why isn't this like a Latino actor playing this role without even knowing what the film is about? Like I, f- I, that's what I know this film for is like, 
you know, Shia LaBeouf has been getting, he's been having this like amazing career, you know, resurgence in his career and like anything he touches, people are going to talk about. Yeah. But this movie, the trailer came out and people fucking lost their mind. And so that's why I was kind of like, most people I know have dismissed this movie out of hand, like a Mordecai or whatever. Like they're just like, I'm not going to see this movie because it looks like a dumb, like, uh, inter- you know, like a dumb sort of like gang banger, like action movie where they, it's been whitewashed. Like all the shit people are saying about it. Like I was just like, but okay, it, but it's, what? it's crazy because, well, first of all, they came out to, to, um, clarify that, uh, that he is in fact playing a white person yeah. who is entrenched in that world. Yeah. Uh, but also it is, is done by um, uh, David Ayer or produced by David Ayer. So you and directed and directed. directed yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you'd think that, uh, you know, having done, um, Oh my God. Why End of watch. Blank? End of watch. And uh, Jesus. Tons of stuff that he's done. <laughs> no, no, but um with the two big ones well i mean a training day uh end of watch and training day having written it anyway um that uh you know people would be more willing to give this movie a chance yeah i mean i don't find it surprising at all that people weren't willing to give it a chance because uh people are getting just insane insane like insanely reactionary to things um it's not that people are being uh it's not that I don't think these sensitive being sensitive to these things is important, but like another thing, now we can start talking about it. Spoiler alert. Any, it's like it would be like if somebody saw it. Uh, I know this is a bit different because Martin Freeman wasn't like central, but if somebody saw a poster or a clip for Black Panther, and they were like, or or Martin Martin Freeman had more space on the poster, and they were like, "This is bullshit." Like where where all the like black people? Because like there's. Shia LaBeouf's character isn't even he is a he is a main character but the movie is not about him and they yeah. marketed it using him for for obvious reasons and maybe that's a separate conversation where people could be like well you should have marketed this differently but having watched the movie like right. it's not he's like just a friend of the main character yeah even a group of main characters and also he the, the question mark that you keep referring to, he gets killed brutally. Like it's yeah. not, he doesn't even do anything. I was other, just about to say that. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. So it's like, you know, if you look at the poster for the movie, it's got two guys on it and a woman, right? Like back to back. Yeah. Um. So it doesn't necessarily, it's not like it's just a poster of like Shia LaBeouf in a suit looking badass. And then you find out the movie isn't about him, but it's just like, I guess going into it thinking that, oh, people fucking hate this movie. I should have known it was the You Gotta Love It, but I, yeah. I thought it was like pretty good for what, like it was very similar to End of Watch. Like it was clear that he took a lot of the techniques he used in End of Watch with like mm-hmm. the ride the ride along perspective and right. like, you know, these exploring the bond between two people who are like best friends and right. basically brothers and like all of their fan, like the first third of the movie felt almost like a, a, it was picking up where End of Watch left off, but with criminals instead of police. Right. And then and then it takes a turn. But it was just like I had my problems with it, which we can we can talk about, but overall I was I, I would before you even we even get to the point where you ask a question, I would absolutely recommend this movie to people. Like if you like crime crime land, you know, 
dramas and action movies or fucking John Wick or Man on Fire or Training Day or anything in that vein. Yeah. Like absolutely see this movie because there's a lot of like wicked stuff in this movie that's like... I would agree to you to a point. Uh, it's not good as, as good as any of those movies that you mentioned, but I still think that it, it, you know, it was a fun movie. And like, especially if you're in COVID lockdown and you don't have a lot to watch, like mm-hmm. why not check it out? Uh, I mean, this is going to kind of step on something later, but I really, really, really like Shia LaBeouf and everything yeah. that he does. He like commits to an nth degree. It's almost like a poor man's Daniel Day Lewis or something. I thought he was great in this, to be honest with you. Have you seen the the uh the the cast re- or not the cast reading, but the like the stars they got a bunch of um famous yeah, people together times. to do fast times? I haven't watched it. Oh my god. I just saw it was recommended to me on YouTube that I haven't watched it. Shia LaBeouf steals every scene that he is in. It is inc- it is incredible. Spicoli? Yeah, Spicoli. But uh, all that to say that he he commits really hard and just for that I, I thought that this movie was fascinating i thought it was going to be a revenge film where um uh well it is a revenge film but i thought it was going to be a revenge film where uh that guy and his family get wiped out and shia yeah who is the enforcer has to go and like you know yeah pick up the pieces yeah well the other thing that i think is important again this is such a like i mean i'm gonna it's important to say it's it's again it's a whole other conversation but i think it's worth saying that knowing the controversy and then releasing it to my knowledge without any reshoots or anything like that. I feel like his, he did a great job of not, he takes a backseat, even the way that his character, his, his lines, the way that he acts and like, it's not like the Shia show, you know, like his character is there to support this guy. That's, that's the character that was written for him. And he plays it that way. So when you see how the movie's marketed, like, yeah, there's some scenes where it's like him being like the equivalent of like Benicio Del Toro and Sicario. Right. Where he's the focus. But the amount of times where he's just like, you just say the word and I'll fucking like split this guy's wig, you know, or whatever. And it's like the camera shifts off him and you were now seeing this, this, the main character struggle with like the weight of his job. Yeah. Is like, I think that that's significant, you know, for people, for people that are just like immediately angry at this movie, if you watch it, like I'm obviously not an expert on, I'm not even, uh, like an amateur when it comes to understanding or knowing the experience of the culture that's portrayed in this film. Right. And maybe there's a bunch of it that's like, you know, uh, ridiculously caricatured or offensive in some way. And if that's the case, then, you know, obviously I, I don't agree with that, right. but I could say that like, you know, I was talking with Neva about it cause she watched it with me as well. I think that one of my favorite types of movie is crime movies. And that ranges everything from like drive to like the Godfather, everything in between. So I've watched countless TV shows and movies, you know, Boardwalk Empire, The Wire, fucking, uh, Peaky Blinders, Supreme, you know, like all, all the shows you know of that have to do with like organized crime. And then when it comes to films, like I own half of them and the other half I've seen in theaters or rented. So it's like, I've, I've seen a lot of different portrayals and ways that people, you know, show this, the, the various cultural underworlds. Yeah. And I just felt like some of it was like over the top, but I just didn't, it didn't, 
it didn't feel like as bad as what everybody made it out. In fact, it kind of the opposite. Like there was a lot of it where I was like, oh, this is kind of like, there's some interesting stuff at play here, you know? Like the concept of a tax collector, the concept of this guy in prison folding up these, like right. they've got books and they're tracking everything and tracking the amount of money that's coming in. And they're like not cartel, they're below cartel. Right. But there's... They're almost it, like policing the it, cartel. Yeah, it, well, it addresses all of this, like, street gangs. So, like, a lot of these gangs are not, it's not just a typical, like, oh, you're watching Narcos or Sicario where you're dealing with, like, these incredibly influential and powerful families that are that have, like, a, just a far-reaching worldwide influence. It's right. almost like we're in L.A. There's just a bunch of smaller gangs that have, you know, they're running drugs or prostitution or whatever the case may be and this these guys are like in between the top and the right. bottom and they're just being like okay if you want to run this you can but you owe us a cut and it was just like that that sort of slice of it i was like oh this is kind of interesting you know like i hadn't seen something that that really told a story set in that yeah particular I mean, fashion it's almost uh somewhere between um not in caliber, but in in level of crime between The Wire and Narcos, which is kind of interesting. Right. Um, and uh, like the last movie, there's a twist ending. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We don't even need to t- that. We don't even need to address that. No, because people can just watch it. It's a, that's not really crucial to the to like the our analysis of it. The, the, I will say now the things that I didn't love. I think similar to I'm thinking of ending things there was parts where it just felt unnecessary like there's a part where um our boy is kind of going to get his revenge and he starts having these visions these like vaseline lensed visions of like his family right. like his wife yep to like to to indicate that he's about to go over the edge and I just thought that like that that shit is kind of unnecessary. It doesn't really belong in a movie like this. Like when you consider that most of the scenes of violence, um, are, are kind are relatively no nonsense. Like the the nail bomb, for example, like in a game, almost game of Thrones type way, like shit happens. Suddenly people die. Sometimes they die off camera and And it's it's not overly stylized. Yeah. It's just, there, there's a couple interesting cam. Like there's a a, a scene that's very stylized that almost uses like a bullet time effect where there's like a camera moving through a room. It's like a bunch of people are getting lit up, but I just kind of, I wish the ending had been a little bit more, um, direct, like just, just like it, when he's like looking in the door, right just shoot through the door. Like I would have accepted that as an ending. I wouldn't have felt let down. It would have just been like, Oh yeah. Like the same way that you barely see what happens to Shia. Like, it's just like, it's clear they're torturing him. It's clear. It's awful. And then it's just, that's it. Nobody comes to save him. It's just over. It's right. like, oh, okay. It kind of sets a tone. And then it has this epic, like, you know, almost painstakingly long, Oh, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? Is he going to get him off of, like boxing movie type? Like, is he going to, turn this fight around and yeah. it's just like just what like you had the upper hand like everything up to that point was badass like when right. he went when he goes to the bloods for help and then they like it was just like it, it's it, like fighting with the mountain uh in game of thrones so yeah bring back just, game of thrones like you think you think at one point it's like oh he's gonna be fine yeah but like no no yeah so so i mean yeah i, I 
look, I'm not going to like say that I think this is like the best film. It's not like a film of the year. It's not the best crime film that I've ever seen, like not close, but there's no way that it deserves like the thrashing it it has received. And I think that there is actually a lot to, to love here because I think that um, one of the things I really liked about End of Watch was that almost casual uh, bonding. Like it, you, you really felt that bond between yeah. them, you know? And then when you learn more about the behind the scenes of how they kind of spent time together to get to that place, it makes perfect sense. And this movie has a lot of that as well, except instead of Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena, it's Shia LaBeouf and, you know, this, I mean, I, I, maybe this is the whole point that people were so upset. I can't, I can't recall his name, but the, uh, um, you know, his, his partner in crime, like, yeah, I can't recall his name either. It's just like, um, Bobby Soto. That's correct. Um, yeah, it's just like seeing seeing their sort of casual relationship in light of what the horrible things that they're doing is like interesting. Like for that alone, I would almost say like, yeah, give this movie a chance because it has some it has some interesting stuff in it. And there's even like weirdly there's like humor in it. Yeah, there is. I guess it's not weird given the other movies that uh, David Ayer's done, but like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like the part where there's like the head in the cooler. Right. And it's like, like it's a turning point in the story. And it's also just like, oh, fuck. But like seeing how sort of unbothered most of the people are. And then like hearing Shia LaBeouf talk about it afterwards. Like, yeah. or just be like, like, is nobody going to mention the head in the beer cooler? Like what, like what, you know? So it's just kind of like, oh, man. So do you think that this movie was a reaction to having done Bright and then um, Suicide Squad? You know, trying to, like, get back to the roots or, like, make something a little bit more toned down. Because it's very interesting that he uh, does those two, I what I assume to be very high budget, very stylized, I guess. They're not both based on comics. Is Bright a comic? I don't know. But, like, you know, fantasy world-esque things and then going back to this sort of gritty crime-ridden drama, or action, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think that's probably safe to say. I didn't really think about that, but um, yeah, almost like Guy Ritchie doing The Gentleman after doing like King right. Arthur and, uh, uh, you know, he did the, you know, Rock and Rolla was sort of like his, then that was like his last gang, gangster movie. Yeah. And then he became like wildly successful. He did Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes 2. He's doing all these big budget sort of like classic literature takes on like classic literature with like triple a casts you know people that are making some of the highest paid actors in in hollywood and then he went back into gentlemen and it was kind of like um you know i don't think gentlemen was terrible but i don't think it's anywhere near as good as his other crime movies and it's almost like feels like the same thing like he was trying to get back to what led to his success and maybe what he i'm sure he loves making all movies but you know it there there's something of him in those movies it feels like something that's very like dear to him whereas these other stories feel like other people's stories and it was sort of like him going and doing the gentleman now with access and cachet and budget it like didn't come across the same as lock stock or snatch you know right. what i mean um and yeah, you could say this is similar in that in that regard. Um, 
but I, you know, I would, I would recommend it to people because I think it would just be, it's one, it's another example of one of those things where somebody's just like, Oh, that fucking movie. And you just be like, Oh, did you see it? Yeah. would be like, no, but like what, you know, you're going to tell me it's good. And it's just like, well, yeah. It's not like, as bad if, as you think. Yeah. It if you like sure. that kind of movie, you will probably actually enjoy it quite a bit because yeah. Shia LaBeouf is great. There's lots of other good, good performances in it. Yeah. Um, do you like Fury, by the way? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it. Yeah, I mentioned it just because he also did that. Yeah, and, yeah, and Fury, was Fury, in it. yeah. Uh, I think that one thing that he's really good at, in a, in a, um, I don't really know how to say this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure it's a combination of everybody he works with as well. He probably you can't give him full credit for this, but right. I think he's really good at. Um, uh, illustrating relationships, like not non-romantic, like platonic relationships between, um, obviously m- most of his films, it's between men, but soldiers, you yeah. know, or people like of that nature, like obviously having not been <laughs> a, a tank driver in World War II or a tax collector in California or a police officer in L.A., I can't speak to those experiences, but right. there's something that feels, if not authentic, just like really um, natural and like organic. Even if it's people that have been thrown together, he's like really good at capturing that, um, which is probably why when you look at all the films he's done, they were like Suicide Squad. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't, we all know what, what happened with Suicide Squad, but yeah. like, it's just sort of like, I, I think that he, that is a strength of, uh, of his projects. So, yeah. All right. Well... Before we get to the recommendations, like I said, we're we got a new little game here for okay. you, Andrew. Uh, gone is the day of how much did it make, how much uh, did it cost to make, etc. And what do we have now? I feel like we should have a, a sound effect dropped here. Maybe I'll I'll do it next do time. It. Beep 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 beep. This section is called "Love It or Leave It." Whoa! So, first Catchy. of all, uh, we'll start with. My first one, revenge films. Love it or leave it? Just point blank? Yeah. Because uh, love it. Tax Collector is kind of a revenge film. So Yeah, love it. Yeah, you like when it carries... Like uh, Man on Fire? Yeah, or Drive. That, yeah. Or or just like 90% of the arcs in Game of Thrones. So yeah. Just people that get wronged in like the first two seasons or two books and then spend years <laughs> trying to claw their way back to... Yeah, I, I, I'm a love it as well. It, it is a premise that... Never, never fails. Yeah, John Wick. Yeah, come on, like, perfect. And and John Wick is the ultimate because it's it's like the initial setup is so what you would not expect from like a full blown you know gun blazing well, it's, action movie. Yeah, it starts relatively small, but it's so significant to this one person that by the third movie, it's basically World War Three. Like it's it's like it's just right. so crazy. It, it the escalation is like unrivaled. Uh, twist endings. Love it. Yeah? Yeah. You, I, you're I, not you're not done with the twist? I, see, I, it's funny because when you say twist endings, I immediately think M. Night Shyamalan. Like or especially mm-hmm. like his or especially his like earlier films. And, you know, he, depending on who you ask, has become a bit of a, a laughing stock among like film viewers. But I think you you do him a disservice because his his first couple movies were like I would say there are, 
I guess he's made a lot of movies at this point. I was about to say, I think more of his movies are good than are bad, but I don't know if that's the case anymore, but certainly Unbreakable, The Sixth Sense, even like something like uh, Split, uh, they all have, the twists are interesting, you know? Um, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of, there's lots of great twist endings. Usual Suspects is, is a classic. I, li- I like a twist if it's, I mean, this seems obvious to say, if it's done well, then uh, if it has the desired effect and it's not just used almost like click, clickbait isn't the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you watch a movie and there's a twist at the end and you either saw it coming or you're just like, uh, unnecessary, that was stupid. Like it was just supposed to, it's like this uh, almost artificial high they want to give you at the end versus right. a movie where you're like, it blows your mind because you're like, oh shit. Well, okay. So Tax Collector had a twist. True. Uh, and how did you feel about that? Bad example. I didn't really care about it. It, di- it didn't really affect me one way or another. That movie could have ended right before that twist and had been delivered basically the exact same. It, exactly my point. So message. I guess a, a well-executed twist. Love it, obviously. Yeah. You know. Okay. One last question before we get to the next one. Do you think in this day and age, people can properly execute a twist? You know, like you think about something like Fight Club or yep. or usual suspects. I think now that kind of stuff can't really exist. If you don't see that movie, you know, like days after it comes out, you're done. It's it's ruined for you. Right. Do you think like do you think that we'll ever have that same sort of mind-blowing experience? That's a really good question. I think uh I think one day it will be possible, but I would agree that it's pretty difficult to pull off now. Right. You know, like it's just the way that people consume content and then immediately talk about it <laughs> is like, and the, the, in, the internet and, uh, just shaking my fist at clouds, yeah. but you know, it's, it'd be really hard to do. I feel like there's, it's, it only works in things that are kind of under the radar. Like I wouldn't necessarily call it a twist per se, but devs has an ending where I feel like there's a sort of similar feeling. You're like, Oh, cool. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, I don't know what another example would be, but it's like, it seems like it's only possible these days in horror films. Yep. Like horror, so many horror films have like a, a reveal where like either the monster or the killer at the end is, that's why I think M night Shyamalan still, that's sort of his go-to because he does so many films that are like horror. Yeah. Okay. Voiceover. Love it or leave it. Oh. Um. Shit. A lot of lot of dead space there. You're probably gonna have to edit out. Mm. Uh, I don't know. These are really good questions. I would say. I mean, I would say leave it, to be honest. And the reason that I say that is because when we were talking about I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. <clears throat> I wouldn't say I read a ton, but I, I'd, say, I may, I'd say I read maybe more than average, like just the amount of books I would get through in a year. Yeah. And I think that with books, um, there's a voice in your head, right? It's like as you're reading, 
you're like you're re, you hear your own voice in your head or you make up the voices of the characters right and it, and that kind of thing i think if you're going to use a medium like film there's obviously exceptions and there's examples of people that do it really well like fight club is another example where you know half the time ed norton is just narrating right well so i, so I was going to say that i for me i think well executed voiceover you know something like stranger than fiction yeah. is a great example well, stranger than fiction is a great example because that you that that's tied to the story sure like it's not it's not just like somebody narrating something the fact that there is a narrator is actually the like driving point of the sure um, yeah uh, fight club is, a, is another great is, is another great example but i think when done well it's great but otherwise it just feels like lazy exposition totally but yeah. to your point when i describe mediums to people like when i talk about the difference between books and movies and music and whatever books are the only uh, entertainment medium where you can actively know what the characters are thinking. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't sort of drag the story down. Right. Whereas, you know, someone could be thinking fi- like uh, a description of, of someone thinking could take five minutes to read, mm-hmm. but it, it all takes place in the span of two seconds right. where a decision has to be made. But mm-hmm. you, you know, it's very hard to do that with movies and with voiceover. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, so I think that I, that's the only reason why I would generally leave it because I think that there's so much to explore in a medium like film in order to tell a story or even to like leave it up to the viewer that I think that, again, with a few notable exceptions, it's just kind of like, don't... Like, I'm thinking of ending things that was interesting for reasons that we already discussed. You know what I mean? It's inconsistent. Sometimes it stops abruptly. Sometimes it changes tack mid sentence. Sure. Um, but there's lots of films where it just use visuals and performance and like the right, like use all of these other tools at your disposal. Whereas books really only have one tool. Right. It's like how, how, how it's written forces you to interpret a certain way. Whereas with film, it's like you can use sound, you can use all these visual cues. You, people can like, so it just seems like not the medium maybe for it. All right, a few more for you. Uh, meta text in films. Explain. Love it or leave what it. do you mean? Well, a, a lot of, um, especially in I'm thinking of any things. A lot of what they're talking about is not about the movie, but about uh, you know life and right. Uh, I mean, obviously, movies are supposed to be far farther reaching than the story but like it has become a trend in in more recent movies that uh they kind of directly address the real world as opposed to uh you know making a piece of art that you then interpret right into the real world you know like they're they're actively making comments in the movie about life life right you know especially in the car ride scenes they're they're very much like talking about um how people behave. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, th- I mean, it, it, now that you've explained it, I'm trying to think of other examples that I really like, right, but it, it just seems like something that I love. Cause it, I, it is kind of a breaking of the fourth wall in that way, but I, I do agree. I do love it also, but I don't know if I'm starting to get a little tired, of tired, it. but we'll see. Well, we'll you see. know, what's funny is that, um, another, not, I, sorry, I keep, <laughs> I should, I'm trying to keep this concise. No, it's okay. Brief tangent here. You recommended Project Power? Yeah. I watched it. It's great. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, 
it's fine. It's like a self-contained story with some like, you know, like, um, and I do, maybe it's just because I see so many movies that now I'm not looking for movies like that as actively, but I would agree. Like, um, also maybe just a reflection of the times we're living in right now. It's sort of like, sometimes I just need a project power where it's just like, just give me a story that I don't have to think about too much after the fact, but I can enjoy the ride. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's not, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, I think I'm really struggling to think of other examples of, of such obvious reflections of, but it does happen for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. I can't think of any off the top of my head either, but okay. Two more for you. Shia LaBeouf. Love it. Yeah. You're still, you're, you're on the, you're still, still on the Shia, Shia train. Still on the train. Yeah. He, me too. He continues to, especially because I kind of all in a row at sort of Neve's prompting earlier this year, watched like a bunch of it. We watched peanut butter Falcon. We watched honey boy. We watched, and I was just like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah, he's, he's hit, he's hit a sweet spot. He's like, he found his groove. Um, and I just think he's, yeah, I don't know. He just seems like a really, um, genuine guy a, and a great actor. And it seems like I, it just made, it's like a feel good story. It's right. sort of like somebody notorious so, hat thief also. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just, it seems like there's so many of these, there's so many, you now that nothing is hidden, so many actors and musicians and athletes and everybody like, you're almost just waiting for the other shoe to drop with everybody. Like, you're just like, Oh, what are we going to find out about this asshole? You know, like, um, and sometimes there's just sort of like, they get into some sort of publicity train wreck or they make terrible decisions or they do something awful and they never recover from it. Yeah. And I feel like we've been exposed to so many of those that there are so few where it's like a person expresses what appears to be genuine remorse and like, seem to have actually learned from their mistakes yeah. and made it through uh, trauma or some sort of like really difficult, something that was really difficult to overcome and they come out on the other side better for it. And it's almost like, I wish there was more positive coverage of that. You right. know what I mean? So that yeah. it's like, hey, it's possible. Like Instead of just indicting people for things that they did like 20 yeah. years ago. Like all of the stuff around Peanut Butter Falcon, whenever you see him on red carpets or interviews with his co-stars, like he, it seems like an, an, a very genuine love. Like he seems to just like love people and yeah. like really, um, I don't know. He just doesn't seem fake. At this point, it doesn't even seem like he could possibly be fake outside of his acting. You know what I mean? I like, agree. I, I mean, he is an actor, but I do agree that like the way he's behaving is, is very singular and it, if it is a, an act, it is like, you know, with the fucking, the greatest, uh, yeah, fucking, it's the next level. Yeah, the greatest act the devil, devil ever pulled or however that, uh, he, he, another thing that I really love real quick is how frequently he, so I've read a lot of interviews he's conducted, uh, like in, in Fader magazine or something like just, but he turns interviews around, but not in a, like an annoying way. Right. You know, like the hot, like he, he just, he's like a conversationalist, you know, like somebody will, he'll tell a story, but then he will somehow relate that story to the current moment or the person that he's sitting across from Yeah, and maybe ask them a question. And they're always just like, Oh yeah. He like, does that oh, a lot. He does like, around. yeah, well actually this is what I think about that. And he seems like genuinely interested. Yeah. Like he's like, he has their full anyway. It's great. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Last love it or leave it. And this one's a loaded one. Oh, great. Uh, Movies that star or co-star white people, but 
take place in a very cultured uh, setting other than, you know what I'm trying to say, a very ethnic setting. How about that? Scarlett Johansson and Ghost in the Shell? Sure. Perfect example. The Last Samurai, another great example. A lot of people indict that movie have never seen it. For sure, they've never seen it because they're like, how is Tom Cruise the oh, last samurai? Totally. Even The Great Wall, which we watched. Yeah. I mean, that's a way worse example because it's not a good movie, really. Right. But, but people were just like, oh, yeah, fucking Matt Damon. That doesn't even make sense. Why is he in a movie about The Great Wall? And you're like... But The Last Samurai, to me, it's like, okay, if you hate The Last Samurai, then you also have to hate, like, uh, what's that James Cameron movie that he's making 100 of now? Avatar. Avatar. Yeah. You basically have to hate Avatar too, because it's yeah. exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, I think. Okay, here I'm gonna I'm gonna say love it with a qualifier. Ooh. The reason I say that is because when it's done improperly, it or 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 is used to, it's like appropriation, <laughs> like if it's used to take advantage of, uh the richness and the background that a, uh, this and the setting that a culture provides without actually having to do any research or like actually portray uh, anything that um, comes with that territory. Yeah. It's not good, but I think that it also provides. Um, and now you did specifically say white but I think it provides, uh, there's a lot of canvas to work with sort of fish out of water type stories or stories that are about learning or about empathy. As, you know, it's like not all of those films are like white savior movies. Right. And I think that we run the risk now of people just dismissing any movie that has a character in it that's white in a different cultural setting as white savior films or yeah. movies that do not take into account all the nuances of these things because it's tricky. I mean, the reality of it is there are lots of places, you know, maybe, maybe more than any other ethnicity, white people are present for better or for worse in all of these different cultures. That's just like the way that history has gone. Certainly cultures all over the world have existed for millennia with, or, you know, centuries, um, without white people being present. But like, if you're making a film now that isn't about like ancient, an ancient, um, African people or something, right. Like white people show up. So whether it's about conflict or it's about, um, anything that, you know, community or love, like there are going to be a lot of instances where white people will be present. And so it's like, I'm not, I'm not saying that as an excuse. Yeah. Um, but okay. Black Panther is a really good example. Like Black Panther uh, is a great film and has all of these, you know, we've talked about it a lot. We did a pod about it. I love it. I think a lot of people missed some of the points in it, but like right. Martin Freeman's character is present in that film. And I, I think you would be very, very hard pressed to make an argument that it's like not clear why he's, the, you know what I mean? Like why he's there. Right. Like it's like, are you okay with white people learning a lesson? In a movie. Yeah. yeah. Like, of course. Not that Green Book is the best example. Oh, you mean like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Like relative to what you, what the, right, what the a, love a, a, cul- a cultural was. lesson. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with it. I mean, it's one of those things where, um, you know, another sort of narrative that you see a lot 
these days is 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 um people who are not ethnically white being tired of having to explain themselves or like you know feeling like they owe it to anybody else to to talk about their culture for example yeah but like i don't agree with that right i still have kids it's like kids kids ask questions and lots of times parents are like oh shh, don't ask that question that's ridiculous you know like yeah. le- like this is how people learn and i think that if people were a little bit less concerned and maybe a little bit more patient and and thought about the fact that you know whether they like it or not maybe until we get to a better place in the world that's going to be their cross to bear is like answering questions or explaining to people things like i still have people ask me about my hair all the time right so like that doesn't make me angry i'm not like oh for the yeah i'm so sick of talking about my dreads you know like i will immediately you know correct the record if somebody's like i heard dreads were made this way or like tell me about your hair i'm just like yeah okay like whatever you know so i think that again almost like everything that you just said there's almost a qualifier where it's just like it can be done horribly <laughs> yeah but i'm i'm generally okay with it i think i'm i'm okay with it and um there's so many films that i've seen that that i do love that are like my favorite film of all time is lost in translation right you know what i mean and I've even heard some people re- very recently, I mean, that movie came out almost 20 years ago. It was like 2003. Right. People are like, oh, that really offensive movie. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it, it baffles me that somebody who watches that movie, they're like, oh, the scene with like the Japanese person trying to speak English. And I'm just like, have you been to Japan? Like, right. it's not... I don't think that the jokes in that movie are be, are are meant to be interpreted at the expense of Japan. You know what I mean? Right. Like it just, yeah, yeah. It's like a character in the film. Like it's there's so much love for Japan. It, it's literally in that movie. called Lost in Translation. Yeah, it's just absurd. So like that being that or being as that's like my favorite film, it's sort of like it would be foolish for me to say that I don't love those. But um, I think it it works just as well with any any race. Like. It could be a black person in a predominantly white place. You know, that mm-hmm. usually makes for an interesting story. It could be uh, somebody who's got like, could be like dope where they exist in that space, but it's about the dissonance between right the culture that they're immersed in and how they feel on the inside. Those are obviously things that are very important to me. So, yeah. All right. Well, that was love it or leave it. Pew, 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 pew. I like that. Uh, you're gonna be able to come up with that many each each episode i don't know about that many but i probably will i mean i came up with those in about three minutes after having watched both those movies so i think it'll be fine um yeah so last point of order recos yeah Uh, i know you got one queued up so yeah i got one queued up um i recently started watching the the tv show close enough it's it was it was a it's an animated show that was made for HBO Max. It's it's on Netflix. Um, uh, I'm actually reading a lot about it right now. But anyway, it's uh, if if you're familiar at all with um, the regular show or just regular show, which many people I know haven't watched, myself included. But there's so many gifs and memes and clips from that show about the this is like a Blue Jay I think and his friend who's like a um, a raccoon. 
uh, same creator, JG Quintel. And uh, it's basically a show about a young couple with a five-year-old daughter who live with uh, a divorced couple, one of whom is voiced by Jason Manzukis. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it is great. It's comedy. It's hilarious. To me, it's hilarious. It's very... I think it hits a very specific demographic. If you're in your 30s yeah, right now, you'll probably find something funny in this show. That's like... It, it's It's almost like... Um, unforgivingly targeted at that demographic, like mid 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 to late thirties, because it's all about like, um, you know, like for example, there's an episode where uh, I showed you a clip from where the dad it's called Skate Dad, and it's about um the the main guy's daughter shows just the the a passing interest in his old skateboard, and he hasn't skated for years, right? Like years and years and years but he's just like so excited to like introduce her to this culture. But so much has changed since like he was sort of interested in it. And it's just like stuff like that. It's just stuff about, you know, if you ever went to a blockbuster back in the day, if you, you know, used to go to clubs, if you, <laughs> it's almost like a joke for everything, but animation as a medium allows them to get really out of control with it. Right. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's called close enough. And, uh, it's on Netflix now, like the whole season. Very, very, very digestible, very quick episodes. So my recommendation is going to be a book series by the name of The First Empire. It is a fantasy book series. Uh, I've been doing nothing but reading. I don't really watch TV or movies anymore unless it's for the podcast, which is hence the resurgence here because I want to start doing those things. Um, but it is about the... Uh, did I recommend this already? I don't. I don't think. I'm uh, not sure. It is about uh, how humans, elves, dwarves, uh, you know, all the fantasy races come to coexist with one another, um, and it. But it deals with a lot of interesting things. Like the dwarves aren't called dwarves, the elves aren't called elves, uh, and the humans aren't called humans. But through the course of these them interacting with each other, you know, they discover and sort of come to call each other elves, dwarves, humans. It's kind of like uh, the idea behind the story is sort of how all of these like fantasy tropes have come to be. How, Interesting. How the elves have become prolific archers. But in the in this in this book series, it's actually the humans that invent the bow. But because the elves live in the forest and whatever, whatever, they've they you know see this invention uh, it actually starts with a war between uh, elves and, and humans. It's very and interesting. The humans slaughter the elves with the bow, and then they're like, okay, well, but we can do this better. And so they, they do it better, and then they become prolific at like hiding in the forest and like picking people off silently and doing all this stuff because they're like, oh, now we have this weapon, this like ranged weapon that we didn't have before. Um, and it's all this crazy stuff about, um, and it plays on all of these like fantasy tropes and you know, shows you the origin of these things, which I thought was a lot of fun. Super cool. Just real quick before we sign off here. Yeah. Um, another, I think the book series, unfortunately, has for me, has gone very much downhill, but a really interesting other book series that a lot of people don't realize does the same thing as Shannara. 
Yeah. The Shannara books from the 80s and the 90s. <clears throat> I mean, he's still writing them today, and there was a TV show that I don't think did very well. Um, it's full-on fantasy. The first one's sort of Shannara, Elfstone's of Shannara, um, Wish Song of Shannara. They were like elves, dwarves, druids, humans, magic. That's it, full stop. But then as they kept going, they're sort of like, um, the one that stands out most in my memory is uh, one of the later books in the 2000s. They, the sort of party of adventurers are in this place where there are these ruins. Yeah. And the ruins are being described and you don't really, you're like, oh yeah, it's just some castle ruins. But then they go into these tunnels and the tunnels are like huge long tunnels and they start describing what they think of as like these, they almost look like metal snakes. I remember you telling me this. And I was mic. just like, I remember, this is like like six books in to like a new series or something and it just blew my mind i was just like wait does this take place in the future and then it turns out he has a separate series of books called um the word in the void i think is what the series is called that takes place in present day and he slowly started writing towards each other so it was like one series was about the downfall of mankind and the other series picks up millennia or whatever in the future yeah with like the so it does a similar thing like there's a group of people that start living in caves and they start getting kind of deformed in certain ways and stronger and stronger as the books go over and maybe right. they become the, the the radiation is like having their skin is getting like pebbly and they become trolls so it's right. like a very interesting yeah similar I, thing i will uh i don't know lend you the ebooks or what have you sweet uh, maybe we'll see how i feel anyway uh until next time guys oh not until next time yet. Next week, The Hidden Gem, uh, uh, by suggestion of our friend Tom, uh, I think we can name him now. Uh, he's been on the show. He, I think he's been on the show now, yeah. Uh, the Hidden Gem is, is a movie, a movie, excuse me, a TV show by the name of Primal. Ooh. Tarkovsky? Uh, I don't know anything about it. Um, Samurai Jack. But uh, yes, that, that's the only thing I know about it. And the You Gotta Love It, uh, speaking of cultural question marks <laughs> not appropriation but question marks is uh disney's live action mulan so ooh, let's see i, re I really want to see that. i'm ready let's yeah, do let's it let's see how we do all right until next time guys keep loving it